Welcome to Ear Full of Dirt, bringing you the latest Major League Rugby news, views, and abuse. Now here are your hosts, Aaron, Dan, and Victor. Thanks very much, Corey. Uh, let's get into it. So, uh, building into it, let's. I'm just going to go into the agenda, guys, real quick. So, uh, first segment will be given off by Dan. We're going to talk innuendo and how we got here. And then following that, the mid, all the midterm news that came to be a part. And then the most recent news, uh, we'll discuss uh, the Austin Elite Rugby and HRFC split, uh, some Seawolves stuff, Eugenie Loft going, our expectations of success, questions from Reddit. I think we've decided to start calling that questions from Bob going forward, uh, corrections and input from Corey, our producer, rumors, and of course, banter Dan it's all you man all right awesome so I want to kick off and just talk about really what brought us here why are we talking about major league rugby um, specifically not talking about pro rugby right now and the second or even the third season coming up regardless so basically what happened was as you all are probably well aware of if you're actually listening to this uh, pro rugby season ended. It was a great first season. Um, everyone I know that watched it, enjoyed it, loved it. Um, really loved the whole structure of everything going on with different teams. Um, a lot of players came out that no one has really heard of before. So it was really great to have that whole thing coming along. So um, season ended and then that's really all we heard of. There was no Twitter updates. There were no uh, press releases, really nothing at all coming from there so we kind of just sat around expecting second season to come around because we're all really excited about it uh me being in new york i was really looking forward to the potential of a new york team we heard rumors of uh you know different teams coming around somewhere so really just looking forward into that lots of rugby coming around um and really getting more towards you know end of uh, i think it was 2016 when that happened around so then kind of out of nowhere we heard some rumors come out where pro kind of failed to pay players and vendors and um, kind of scared us a lot, but we tried to ignore that just to try and get to the second season of pro. And then really out of nowhere, pro kind of stopped and that was pretty much it. I mean, it didn't officially stop, but all the contracts were voided or canceled and for all intents and purposes, the pro rugby ended. So we're all kind of really upset about that. Um, just had to wait until someone else picked up the pieces, what we thought would be years because the first year went well. Someone took the risk to really come out and do this. Um, but then, like I said, it, it just kind of failed after one year for various reasons. But then um, a couple months later, we heard some news about MRC, which was the um, the precursor to MLR, which is more of like an unofficial new league that came around between the teams or most of the teams that are currently part of MLR. It was really just staying within the club structure, but um, traveling to some of the others and just you know holding their own unofficial record amongst each other. Um, and then a little bit a little bit later, we heard some more news. You know, I think Grant Cole was the first one who really. That broke this news from this is Texas Rugby, where he mentioned that at the Texas Rugby Union uh, meeting or the AGM, 
um, there was news of a, another professional league coming around that is now obviously Major League Rugby. So from that was just like a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a hint. I didn't actually see that. I think Aaron was the only one out of all of us that actually saw that little piece of news because he actually followed every single word that Grant said every single day. Um, so I'm just sitting around on Twitter. I was probably watching other sports or something like that. You're just a hater. Yeah, I'm just a hater pretty much. Uh, and then I saw it was actually Brian Ray's tweet where it was just a really um, subtle tweet just saying, um, I forget exactly what it said, but it was like something coming along, a new pro league coming out next year, dot, 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 dot. And then, of course, everyone's freaking out trying to see what, what else is going on. And then eventually that broke the whole story that Major League Rugby, it's a whole new league coming around. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be amazing. Clubs coming together, forming a more organic kind of process rather than having just one person own the entire league and, as far as we're concerned, run the social media as well. Um, so that's really what blew up from there. A lot of people like this is American Rugby started making posts saying, what is MLR? What is this? And then that's really it. Um, from there, we kind of learned a lot more about what Major League Rugby is. And then that's when all of us, as you've heard before, came together, um, jumped on this, this Reddit because there was really no central source of information for all this. And then they just started talking nonstop about the idea of another pro league that sounded, like I said, more like it'd be organic and wouldn't just be forced by someone that doesn't understand rugby at all, except for a whole business standard. So that's the real general overview of what brought us here um as of now we've mentioned before it's all currently innuendo um they haven't officially launched just yet as we've heard they are more like engaged to be engaged so we're still waiting for the official announcement that we thought would be coming around now but um here we are just to talk about this league that we know is going to happen even if they didn't make this announcement so i don't know if aaron victor i don't know if you wanted to jump in here what your first thoughts were when you saw everything coming up and well, you know, everything like that. So for me, I I was I mean I didn't know Grant at the time. I I, I think I know him decently well now, based on because you know we're getting involved in media and media like in the rugby space, we tend to take care of each other on the field, off the field, you know stuff like that. If there's a very brotherhood thing like way of life and if you do things the right way people you know they help you out so i was like grant um like what is this uh where or do they have websites there were at that time there was really there was really nothing other than really glendale and austin because all their ducks were in a row everyone else you're really wondering what's going on. And so Grant takes that Facebook post down and edits it. Cause he had a fact sheet about it and he's like, Hey, so this is what I heard. I really shouldn't have done this verbatim, but here's my analysis. And here we go. And then Brian Ray breaks it. America's rugby news gets like some, an exclusive of some kind and good for them. Good for them hustling. And they lay down who like the structure of the league and what it's supposed to look like. And, you know, for a while, I was. If you read some of my posts on the Reddit, I was like mad. I was like, "Where's this? Ugh, if you're gonna do this, do this the right way." And the reality is, is they've done this the right way. The information is there. Whereas with pro, I, that 
there really wasn't information a month out in Victor. What do you think, man? Oh, Aaron, let me tell you, brother, this thing is all over the place, really. Um, really, the sort of the, the 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 break, if you want to call it that, like like the breakout story of MLR is sort of came first as a rumor and then eventually just blow up into well the league is definitely official although again we're still waiting for an official announcement from the actual league and here we are and still nothing but hey, it, it really is what it is but um but for the for the looks of it things definitely things it seems to me that things are definitely looking looking well a couple of hiccups here and there which we're going to talk about more in detail uh, throughout the show but yeah that is pretty much the thing also by the way in case you're not familiar with him um grant Grant is Grant Cole, which is a gentleman that runs this is uh, this is Texas rugby. So in case you're not familiar with his name, since Aaron just brought him up, just in case. So we'll go into our next segment, which is what I like to call the midterm. So post 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 conference, uh, Corey did something that Victor's going to talk about. Yes. Um, well, first of all, Corey, a gracious leader, let's call him that, um, created the the writer of the MLR Rugby, and that's how we ended up coming together to create the Earful of Their Podcast, where we are right now. And also, can't forget, Mr. Munson, Curry Munson is our producer, and thank you very much for that. Um, be- I'm Victor. Victor, oh, I'm I would sorry. say that I'd just say that leader is a little bit of a strong term. I prefer overlord <laughs> or god. Oh, so you know, my just kind of make apologies, sure that my overlord. My apologies, <laughs> for overlord. Let's do I, it. I just accept, <laughs> accept fa. Sounds good. No worries, my overlord. My apologies. Okay, thank that. Thanks. <laughs> and jefe. And, and jefe. There we go. Jefe. Yeah, we could call him el, oh, el patron. We call him el patron. Patron is good. <laughs> Definitely, we could do that. No worries. Okay, so besides that, and just to continue with, along with the midterm discussion, um, uh, as, and as I mentioned, uh, we uh, the MLR team sort of spawned a preseason competition of sorts referred to as the Major Rugby Championship, which debuted uh, this spring, a little bit of the summer as well. Um, of course, we're expecting a little bit more of this in November, uh, coming up now with the Houston Strikers. We're going to be pulling out a team. I also believe that um, NOLA, uh, New Orleans or Orleans, <laughs> rugby will also pull out a team as well for, for the season. Still crossing my fingers for the Dallas Griffins and let me see, and well, Minnesota, if that pulls up. But, um, but yeah, that is uh, the idea coming up. It's, oh, speaking actually. Speaking of which, as I mentioned uh, in New Orleans, um, there's a couple of ru- rumors swirling around that are pulling out of MLR following the forfeits of their DH1, the uh, D1 um, schedule after the big defeats against the Hunts. But again, those are rumors. Hopefully nothing comes of that. But the rumors uh, could be true. Definitely with that. Um, besides that, uh, rumors, can always, rumors can really always be true. Um, but usually they're not. Usually they're not. Well, true. At least I mean, in, in my case, the the rumors were there. But as as Victor will get on later, we see the differentiation following mm-hmm. Nor FC. Exactly. And then of course, can't forget about Seattle Saracens, who just quietly launched the Seattle Sea Wolves brand of their MLR. Which, by the way, 
really cool logo with the killer whale or orca, if you want to call it that. Um, which, by the way, um, Aaron was mentioning uh, to us a couple of days ago when we found out the fact that there's a symbol, apparently, of, of the Native Americans around the area of, of, of Washington State, which I was not aware of. Well, that's really cool. And um, as you know, guys, of course, we had the press release um, on May 4th confirming the six cities. Um, so, and of course, the, the companies are attached to each of the teams. So, Glendale is 1924 Rugby, uh, Kansas City is Blue, uh, Blues Rugby Management. Then we got uh, the Griffins, which is DFW Major Rugby, Strikers, who I mentioned already, the Hunts Rugby, which is now, as you probably know, Austin Elite Rugby, which we're going to get on that name later. <laughs> and NOLA, which I mentioned, uh, Seattle Rugby, which, of course, with the Seawolves. Um, Rugby Utah, of course. Hopefully, they're going to get a better name. Hopefully, the Utes. That would be really great. Utes Rugby. Um, the Tornadoes, which is in Minneapolis. And, and yeah, that's, that's what's going on with that. Um, and then in June, we got, of course, the brand, uh, the NOLA brand, which was launched. Uh, and then, of course, similar uh, said a couple of couple of weeks ago that something was coming up, and we're still waiting. And obviously, Houston keeps announcing people left and right, which is great. And and really, and and, and that's what we are so far. Um, so whoever wants to take the, the 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 word for me, go right ahead. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know. We we saw these nine cities, and this is where I'm at. You know, I'm like, yes, I'm finally there. They're going to, they announce everything. They have a commissioner. They have an assistant commissioner, uh, Dean House. He is the former uh, owner of RSL, Real Salt Lake. Uh, he's the commissioner of MLR. And then Nick Benson, who served as a uh, major consultant for Rugby Utah Ventures earlier this year, was picked up to be the assistant commissioner. And I, there is a marketing guy that they know very well. Uh, he went to, I believe, Florida State. I don't know his name. I'll get back to I'll definitely send that correction in later. But they are the the league offices up and running in Salt Lake City, which we had thought was going to be in Glendale, because just um between Austin and Glendale, that, that sort of was the uh I guess the tinder and the kindling to the fire that has now been set forth. So one interesting thing of note is that if you go to the MLR website, which is usmlr.com, uh, Tornadoes Rugby LLC for Minneapolis has been removed, leaving only eight cities. So that that's something interesting. Um, and then again, in June, uh, when we thought uh, NORFC was going to pull out, and one thing you'll notice is that every club that's attached to uh, – other clubs uh, has seemingly launched another uh, brand. So what we have is the NOLA Gold Rugby Club in New Orleans. And uh, what what do you think, Dan, about all the midterm stuff that went down? I think kind of piggybacking off what you said, it's kind of interesting that Minnesota was taken off the website. Um, they were, as far as I'm concerned, one of the only – two teams that weren't associated with an existing club strikers being the other one and i haven't heard a single bit of news from minnesota uh, they may have huge announcements coming up in two weeks and um as we've been reminded multiple times that uh some of these clubs just can't make announcements yet or choose not to make announcements yet until there is a more formal announcement from the league but 
considering the fact that they haven't announced anything, players, coaches, staff, anything like that, um, kind of makes you feel like Minnesota won't really be part of next year, especially now that they got taken off the website. I mean, that just may be looking way too much into it. But all the other teams really have made at least some sort of announcement. Um, I know that NOLA has announced um, the rebranding and hiring of some coaches, even Kansas City, which I think we've heard the least from, at least mentioned in Facebook posts that there will be players on their Kansas City team who's going to be part of the Major League Rugby next year. Um, We could be looking a lot into this, but everyone has made at least some sort of announcement from that. So I don't know if we think Minnesota will be around next year. Um, I'm, I'm kind of banking on them not, but at the same time, I've heard from a lot of people that there will be big announcements from them, at least this month. So I don't know if you guys have heard anything kind of following up on Minnesota or even just other clubs being announced or, or announcing news. I mean, I've as far as specific connections to Minnesota, I have some uh, stuff I'll get to that is also on Reddit if you want to dig through. If you're watching, uh, I think it might be on the second page. I'm not sure, but we'll get into that at the uh, in the last segment of the podcast. But I'm going to go into our news section, which we really thought was going to be the the press conference. The press conference. I was told by like two different sources that hey, they said 15 August. So us as a group and a bunch of people on Reddit, we're all looking, we're waiting. There's no press conference on 15 August, but there was news. Uh, Not the main news, but Seattle Seawolves became fully active. I would say the beast awoke out of its slumber, out of its hibernation, and that killer whale started to swim. Um, They're fully interactive on social media, so if you want to uh, send them a note, they'll respond. And uh, going from there, I expect some news to come out of there a lot and pretty fast. Uh, So the big news that happened on the 15th was the two press releases from Austin Elite Rugby and Huns RFC. Um, One sort of sounds relatively negative about a split, making it um, amicable or not. And you had to really look at the nuggets that were in the HRFC one to go, hey, really, this isn't bad. And to me, it really sounds more like I said, what could have been a significant disagreement on one thing, and that was branding and ownership of the Austin Huns trademark. Because as we've noticed with some of the clubs, pretty much everyone has been uh, rebranded. So Seattle Saracens launched the Seawolves brand. Uh, Nola Nora FC behind their backer launched Nola Gold. Uh, Glendale Merlins Glendale. Uh, since they own the trademark, the city owns the trademark and the license uh, under the uh, their agreement with the LLC that will be running and operating the Raptors, they decided to go with another bird in the theme. So since the rapt- a Raptor is the largest bird uh, of prey out there, they went with the smallest bird of prey, which is a merlin. So everyone pretty much has rebranded to separate their amateur divisions. And so what you have is the Huns still staying at Nixon Lane and Austin Elite Rugby starting. And I think this gives them a lot more room to maneuver because there's two major organizations in Austin 
So rather than being fully tied to uh, the Huns, you have, you know, the ability to develop strong relationships with both the Huns and the Blacks. Um, they also announced uh, a new co-owner um, with additional investment from Christophe Levine. And I believe the club is financially sound for 2018 and they'll be ready to, for, to go further uh, onto 2019 and be a mainstay of this league. Their, their finances weren't questioned to begin with, but I think this just makes them a lot stronger. Um, and Thierry Dupont, the, the manager, uh, the general manager and a co-owner of Austin Huns RFC was nice enough to get back to me on their new crest. So the intent uh, of elite rugby management is to develop an Austin brand that will grow outside of Texas. And so what we got here, the colors of blue and black represent the roots of rugby in Austin, both the, the blue for the Austin Huns and the black for the Austin Blacks. Uh, two clubs that are definitely the foundation of the rugby community in Austin and orange is for the city of Austin. Cause every sports team, if you take a look, according to uh, Thierry, that bur burnt orange is uh, associated with every sports team in the city of Austin. And if you want your brand to grow, they, they tapped, I give a throwback to Austin. And then the structure, you have the bull. And cattle stay in a herd, and their strength is the herd. And the herd represents the values of the rugby community. And the Longhorn specifically is a throwback to Texas ranching and is one of the strongest and fiercest breeds of cattle. The shield represents protection and also a respect for rugby culture. The bull's horns going outside of the shield is because it's Austin. And the Austinites like to think out of the box. The star specifically represents the Lone Star State and Austin being the capital. The reason why it's Austin elite rather than, uh, say, a Minotaur or another uh, another big bull is, uh, for now, the name Austin elite was a throwback to the Austin Huns elite team that they helped establish this last year that won the uh, club national championship. And the, the last bit of news regarding Austin – was Eugenie Loft chose to retire as head coach of uh, from Austin. Uh, he was going to transition as the head coach for the Austin Elite team, but based on some things, he had applied to succeed John Mitchell with USA Rugby and was informed that he was no longer under consideration. So while uh, on vacation in South Africa, he did a lot of thinking and uh, – uh, he decided to bid farewell when he came back. So, uh, farewell, old friend. I think you. Uh, I think you brought something that uh, will be remembered uh, in Austin and in the United States. And you've lived a crazy life. So, uh, can't wait to hear about your next project and read your book when it comes out in English. And to Dan. Yeah. So, even just to follow up on that one. Um... I am very sad that that Lafayette is no longer with Major League Rugby. I remember hearing stories of when he first came to the team and just very fundamental um, skills the teams don't really have. And that's not really a knock on the team. It's just we're in America. A lot of them have a football experience. And even myself with playing rugby now, um, after playing rugby for a bit, there's a lot that has to change in your head and how you play and it, exactly what you need to do in the game. So basically ran a boot camp and 
helped a lot of these team or the, the the entire team get together. So great with Lafayette. Would love to get some experience and experienced coaches, even if they're coming from other countries or even South Africa. We don't know if he's going to have some sort of connection there. Um, but also really looking forward to his book when it's in English. I can't really read Afrikaans at all. Um, it's kind of a strange language for me to try and decipher. But moving on from that, the other other note I wanted to make was that it really is easier for some of these people, some of these fans in the area to root for a team that's not, um, I guess, still called what your rival is. So for the Blacks, for instance, I had the chance to go to the Huns versus Blacks game at the end of April. And it was really an evenly matched game. And they really are rivals. Like the, the teams do not want to root for each other. And I don't see that happening. And even in other areas, in New York, for instance, if um, Old Blue became another major league rugby team or club, I don't see New York rugby club. I don't see uh, Nyack, Village Lions. I don't see anyone really supporting that, at least at the club level, which is kind of an important way to build a fan base. So that's just sort of one little note I wanted to add on to that. Um, but with the whole change of the names, there's the whole, uh, the Ted Stevens Act is something that will really be brought up a lot by people. And it has been brought up a lot by people on either Twitter or the Reddit page with um, being very important to Major League Rugby. I've never really known what it was beforehand, but um, I was asked to actually look into this a little bit. I was actually in pre-law, so pretty much the best candidate around here to actually study law. Um, really simply put, the Ted Stevens Act is actually from the Amateur Sports Act of 1978, um, basically allowing the United States Olympic Committee to designate specific governing bodies for um, different sports that will participate in the Olympics, swimming, skiing, or in this case, rugby. So USA Rugby um, can be created. It's the only one that's allowed for rugby union in this case. Um, and that's sort of part one of the act. But then Ted Stevens Act came along later, just sort of add a bit onto that. And if I'm reading this correctly, which I may not be, but I'm not an expert in law, uh, like I just mentioned two seconds ago, it seems like in order for the Olympic governing body to actually exist, um, they would have to really be amateur athletes that are playing in this league. So the clubs really had to differentiate from the professional clubs. So there has to be a professional entity. There has to be an amateur entity. You can't just be part of the same thing and still be part of the USA rugby club structure. It sort of adds a lot of conflict there. Um, I know Aaron or Victor, I don't know if you've recalled anything from the Reddit page or even, or if you've done your own research into the whole professionalism side and, and sort of the significance of that, because I, I'm really, like I said, not an expert, even though, like I said, I am the pre-law guy here. So I really should be the expert, but I, it's been a couple of years since I studied. He, his new job is legal intern. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice to actually go for my career path, but that's not happening anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I cannot help you there neither, brother. Um, law is not my forte. You don't talk about law when you're uh, giving tour guides? No, no. when I'm giving tours, usually we don't uh, try not to talk law, politics, no religion, because <laughs> you, you don't, you don't want to scare people away from the beautiful city of New York, as, as you probably know. Yeah, I guess it's kind of tough already, but... Well, uh, I, I, I want to know your opinion about all this, Junio. 
<laughs> like what what all this drama because some people some people think this is drama i thought it was drama when it first came out i thought it was a terrible thing and and i i guess i bought into the mainstream media whatever you want to call it but i kind of saw that and i saw the news break and I go oh no there's differences they're arguing that the huns aren't gonna be a team anymore but then i i kind of saw especially grant cole he was really the person that leveled me out and probably leveled all you out too um i saw him post on twitter and the reddit page and just saying no this is really just them posting that they're going to be a pro club there are some I, this seems like there is a disagreement over the trademark but it's not really like the owners were fighting with each other it's the same owners that we expected todd clever um thierry uh oh man i can't i can't really pronounce french names very well Dalpin. Terry Dompon. Um, I don't know there were the two other owners, which I'm completely blanking out right now because I can't do that. Um, but they're all going to be Austin Elite Rugby. It's going to be exactly what we expected, except they're not called the Huns. Um, I don't know if you guys have the exact same opinion as I had or if you had anything kind of different to think if it actually is bad news because I think some people still think it's bad news regardless of this. I don't really agree with them in that case. Well, I'll tell you this, Dan. And everyone else, I, I'm, I'm, I was when I heard the news about the split between the Han, the Hans, Hans, the Hans, and the, and the um, AR Austin League Rugby. Uh, I, I was, uh, to be honest with you, I was quite afraid because I thought something happened that um, Todd Clever, uh, Mr. Dupont, and everyone else could not reach an agreement with the rest. Of the of the Hunts family, and they say, you know what? Now we're gonna do our own thing and split. So I was afraid. I was really afraid at first, but then when I heard the or read the news in more detail, the fact that they were still going to share the the same uh, playing area, and they're also going to uh, keep with the promise of creating a youth program, and crossing my fingers, hopefully, a, a, like a, in like an under twenties league, like um, for example, a, a English Premiership has. I was glad, but again, I'm still sort of not really completely 100% happy about all this. But if the team remains and and they're and of course the the guys that play for the Hunts go to stay in the elite and to bring new people in, I got no problem with that. But but, but again, kind of sad because I definitely do like the the, the Austin Hunts right and the, the Austin Elite as a name. But eh, it's what it is. I mean, so I just, what, okay. Corey, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And go. I I was just going to jump in real quick and talk about this uh, from the perspective of the Reddit page. It was kind of an interesting process because when this came out, like Dan mentioned, there were a lot of posts. I think there were at least three posts, and at one point, Aaron, you even had to lock down comments on one of them just because <laughs> I, I think it was kind of getting away from us pretty quick and. Uh, it, it's the beauty and, and the challenge of having a page like that because first we are able to kind of deal in information where it may be innuendo, it may be rumors, and it doesn't, uh, because we're not an official media outlet, it doesn't hurt us at all just to post that stuff. But then you can kind of get a lot of naysayers pretty quickly. And so I got to say, I was really impressed with how the community kind of batted that back and... Uh, got us all back on track pretty quick uh, when that news broke because I, we all really, really, really want to see this thing succeed. And I think 
the reason we're on the page, the reason we're doing the show is because we have a passion for the sport and for this, this new league. And whenever you see something that's starting to remind you of things that have happened in the past, it makes sense that you, you get a little upset and you may overreact. So I got to say, I was really impressed with uh, everybody here uh, on talking to us today, as well as uh, a lot of other really valuable members of the Reddit community. So good job, everybody. Hey, we're official now. This is podcast number one. All right. Oh, uh, so I was so I, I was lucky enough to get the first press release uh, the night of. So before it, I guess as soon as it hit, hit midnight in Texas, it was I got an email and I sent it to the group. And you know, as was explained to me by you know an internal source, it was like, yeah, there was a disagreement about some things. And I think the biggest one um, for me, like the biggest one was, hey, control of the trademark. So if you could say there was drama in Glendale because they, you know, they sold a significant percentage to, you know, the person that's going to be operating the uh, private venture that runs the Raptors, maybe there, you know, there was a fight there. I don't know. I just know that officially the city of Glendale owns that trademark. City of Glendale also owns the MLR trademark for anyone that wants to know. it's You can go search it. Uh, this is where it got really weird for me back in April. I was like, this is strange. Why would the city of Glendale own this trademark? So that's where I was really – I wanted to see the Huns, you know, but based on everything else and how all the brands are just separated and how um, the, I guess – Austin Hunt's rugby management was still a separate entity to begin with from the amateur club. Uh, makes sense. But, and Thierry Dupont said on a podcast, I think it was with uh, Warren and Preston, maybe on a quick tap for, Amer- for red, white, and black eye, that the idea that MLR had put together was in the guise of the European system where um, there is a professional side, but there's also a separate perfect like amateur club that had at the time currently has voting rights within the professional side. So if you go to Stade Francais, you go to Rossing 92, you go to Rossing Toulon, Rossing Narbonne, the, the amateur side of the club has votes in how the, the professional side operates. They don't, fund anything they might they get they probably get some money from it for what they do on their end but they do get a say so that's what and it also gives you you know the sense of community already that you know you have a five-year-old playing huns minis playing rookie rugby and then you have that same five-year-old 13 years later is an under 18 high school player within that club and Trump like vying for an academy contract um, to eventually make the the professional side. So I was totally bought into that. And you know, their marketing um, company, Rugby United Marketing, that they've spun off. Diana Anderson's a genius. So I think this had something to do with that as far as the overall strategy was with the league. Hey, be connected to clubs locally, but you need to have a separate name from the amateur organization. So there is that, like I said, 
I, I thought that was crazy. Uh, for me, the biggest one, and it says a lot about internally, what is internal to politics in USA rugby and whatnot was e Eugene Eloff leaving. I I'm saddened by that because great guy, great guy. Uh, but I think who they've got on staff still, uh, Danny Devilliers, uh, I think he's going to take over. And I think Pedri Wannenberg, who just completed his level 200 uh, certification from USAR, he'll take over as the assistant head coach if he's still there. Uh, I'm not sure. But I think they have the cores – the core beginning of a new staff already there and things are going to move forward for uh, Austin and the rest of the league. And Aaron, I think I don't want to cut, off, cut you off there, but do you, you just confirm that Danny DeVito will be the head coach <laughs> of the Austin Huns? I just want to make sure I heard that correctly. So yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Danny DeVito. Yes. The short guy, the short dude, bold, perfect hooker. <laughs> great, great hooker. No, uh, Danny Devilliers. He's a, I think he's a South African. He uh, was their attack and backline coach this year, so he's, you know, he's very well familiar. He ran this elite sevens this year for Austin Huns. So I think they've they've got their foundation of coaching still in place, and they've got Todd Clever on the field uh, to help establish the player culture. And, you know, I think, like I said, it really concerned me as soon as I read the first press release about where we were going forward. But I think they've they've done everything they need to do to remain one of the stronger teams vying for the first Major League Rugby title. I think we will go into our expectations of the league. Uh, Dan, why don't you go over yours first? So basically my expectations and really what I consider – the league to be successful. Um, it's tough to tell after the first year, but I think it's really important to establish two things. One is to be able to really create a youth program, have a team. Um, it could be academy or it can really just be a U20s team or a camp of you know 50 players to just come out just, just to have fun and play. Um, some sort of youth program in place just to sort of – not only create the pipeline for Major League Rugby, but just create the pipeline for rugby in the USA. Um, the second thing, which I think is actually a, a bit more important, at least short term, is to really develop a league or a place where rugby players can come together. They can be paid every single game to play. It doesn't have to be that semi-pro where they might get $200 to play match day fee or something like that, but every star can get... Um, I mean, hopefully more than this, but ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year from this, and actually make some sort of a career out of it, at least for a couple of years. And with that, having a bit of a centralized league where uh, whoever the head coach of USA Rugby is can look at the league and, and they can watch the games and they can actually see who really is or who are some of the better players in the league um, in the U.S. who will most likely, I guess, have the heart to really really go after um, USA Rugby um, and being able to play nationally. So if they're playing for only ten dollars to $20,000 a year, it kind of shows that they really are committed. Not to say that people in other places aren't because they are for other reasons. Like I know a lot of people from like Old Blue or Nyack or 
working in New York City and committed to working in New York City, and that's their main career, but they have a really good job on the side working with those clubs. But being able to really um, play here, and I think I've actually gone off on a bit of a tangent and lost my train of thought. Um, before I go, I just confuse every single person that may be listening to our podcast, uh, maybe Victor or Aaron. I don't know if you had your own initial thoughts on the expectation to the league or, or what you would consider a success for the league coming up. Okay, Dan. So for me, uh, <laughs> what will be a success for the league is that it lasts more than one season. I'll tell you that because after we got burned, uh, oh, last year, that's, yeah, last year, yeah, last year with, <laughs> for rugby. Um, it feels like a decade yeah. ago. It was just last year, oh but God, it feels that- like a decade ago. Seriously, brother. Oh, my goodness. But that, no, but in all honesty, if it lasts more than one season, it, I will consider it a success already because at least it's doing a lot better than pro rugby ever did. Uh, but but yeah, but going back with expectations. So be, so besides the fact that I wanted to last more than than the one season is obviously the expectation of more teams uh, open it up across uh, across the country uh, the fact that hopefully they get uh, some it gives some uh, some channel channels at TV rights broadcasted on television try to get the game going because keep in mind if there are not new eyes of the product we cannot get the product to go up or go anywhere. So, I mean, Robbie already has a fan base, but it's small. But we're already diehard fans. I mean, just we're doing a podcast right now talking about rugby. But again, we need to get the game into new eyes. And you cannot do that if you don't put it in as many channels as possible or you make it as easy as possible to uh, to access. And I can speak for, I think, most of us guys when I can tell you that just a couple of years ago, it's just really hard to find rugby without going to any sketchy websites because i remember one time it was hard to find it on sketchy websites well that's very true that's that's another thing too because i remember going to freaking satanta sports trying to find rugby and by the way a quick shout out to warren from the red red black the red white and Blue and white, black eye, whatever the name is. You okay, then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No, but quick, no, but quick to, to Warren because in one episode he was mentioning when he was in, on vacation in, in Bali, in Indonesia, the fact they found Satanta and he watched rugby pretty much all day long, including rugby league. So, oh, man, I, we really need to have something like that here to say, especially with this new league coming up. But going back with um with expectations, um yeah, but yeah that obviously uh, hopefully created a league again uh, like an A league again like Premiership has, I mentioned Premiership a lot, but it, I really want us to be like a better version of, pre- of Premiership rugby. Um now going back to just some of, some of the of the teams involved in MLR, um we already talked about uh, again Austin the Hunt well now the yeah, Austin Elite, um. I think the only two teams that could rival Houston, uh, Houston, that could rival Austin, and keep in mind Austin is, of course, the one champions, well, the Hunts, but in any case, um, are going to be the Strikers, obviously, in Houston, and the, Glen- and the Glendale Raptors. The other teams thus far don't really see that trending, but you never know in a couple of months who are they're going to pick up. But definitely, I'm putting my hat between the Elite, the Strikers, and the Raptors. Another thing too, uh, we Aaron mentioned before about uh, the MLR brand being owned uh, by the city of Glendale. 
Uh, you may remember that last week I was wearing my MLR gear with a hat and a shirt that said MLR. The store where I bought it, which I believe is called O'Neill's, is located in Glendale. So I definitely do believe that is indeed in fact that Glendale is definitely running MLR. If again, if the, when I bought my, jersey, my my shirt and my hat, it came straight from there. Uh, no, one last thing before I pass the word to to Corey um, and Aaron. Sorry that I had to correct you, brother. But when you mentioned before about Toulon and Arbonne, that's Rugby Club Toulon Toulonais and Rugby Club uh, Narbonne. The only team with the Racing name is Racing ninety two. So sorry I had to correct you there, bro. But just to make that clear real quick. So Corey, go right ahead, brother. Uh, no, all I would just add is. Um... I think for me, the most exciting thing so far about the development of this league has been the fact that it is, at least has the feel of a more grassroots process than what pro was. And I think that definitely gives me hope for the future, where if something happens, if there has to be a change, we can go ahead and we can lose a a team or we can shuffle the location of a team and we'll still have a league because the league's being established and there's a foundation being built there. So it's kind of like a chair with uh, four legs better than a, you know, a stool with one. It, so when you have those, those options out there and that multiple uh, places that it's coming from, I think the opportunity for it to succeed long-term is, is much better. I think it's a stronger foundation, but uh, Aaron, I know you had a couple things you wanted to say, so I'm going to pitch it over to you real quick here. Yeah. Victor, come on. That was me. It's racing for – so there's a bunch of French clubs that have racing in their name. Maybe Narbonne's not one of them. But uh, I know it's not just 92. And I asked this question because I was really confused. It was like, why would racing be in all these names? So Rossing, racing, whatever. Rossing. Uh, for as far as the French language is concerned, that means like athletic clubs. So you have New York Athletic Club, Los Angeles Athletic Club, all those guys, basically the same deal. Um, but to really my expectations, so I have, I guess I have a lot. Um, for really is, the beginning is like a professional product on the field. We started to see that at the end of pro with all these guys that were in a daily training environment, training four, five, six hours a day. And, you know, things were getting crisp. You know, those Division One club uh, stutter steps and blind passes weren't really happening and I was getting hyped. So really, you know, the, the stuff that you see at, in D2 club rugby not exists. So basically professionalism with play on the field. And then really for me, it's the back end stuff, not really on the field is so enough information for both the media and fans to execute analysis on their own. So when, you know, we go to the press box at the end of the game uh, that, you know, producer Corey isn't having to um, tally his own stats for the match, that there's just a printout. He goes and grabs the sandwich that, you know, they provide, at least at the Qualcomm. I went down to Qualcomm back in the day for a bowl game with a press credential and they had food for the press. So I'm not saying you have to have a steak dinner, but at least have some snacks because we're there to pump you guys up. How'd you get, um, a, press, how'd you get a press pass to anything? Uh, My question. I mean, I don't, 
I didn't get it. I it it went when I was working as a football researcher for a weekly back during college. I just got to go because I earned I earned it, you know. Corey is the one that's doing all the work. He I mean, he's the pro. He's we're like two episodes in and we're being treated like professionals, which is awesome. Thank you very much. You gave us but, sandwiches. We feel good too. <laughs> but um so right now we're we're looking really at Flow Rugby possibly broadcasting the entirety of the season. So uh currently the Flow Pass is 149 bucks for all of Flow's content and that doesn't include rugby. That includes football, that includes Olympic sports. So if you're into anything, they've got tons of content and Flow Rugby's site, just Flow Rugby in general, They've got tons of free videos, tons of articles that you can just go on. Alex Goff is the main writer right now. I think he'll end up being the editor as this thing builds uh, for them. So just if it's going to be, you know, nine teams, eight teams, if it's nine teams, there's still only four games a week, at least one or two of those games in front of a paywall, easily accessible so that you can grow the game. The other three – if there's a paywall, I understand that, but a national game of the week and then local cable uh, providers, because the Huns did that, even though they had a national broadcast with flow, they still had spectrum televising their games. I know that uh, Glendale and rugby Utah did uh, over the top through their Facebook page. So that's also an option. And then really is more player welfare and long-term, what I know is, do, you know, single-A baseball players live on nothing. It's roughly about 6000 a year plus their health insurance and whatnot. But by year four, let's say a livable wage of twenty to thirty k is the floor of the league, um, plus a benefits package, favors in kind. And then really the big thing for me, of course, is no player coaches on the field. And why that matters to me is we're really missing – technical coaches in the United States. So that's one thing that this league can help build is technical coaches. So instead of, you know, your forwards would have two coaches, your back line would have, have two coaches and your, the guy, the, your kicking backs would have a coach that teaches them kicking. So that would be a five coach staff plus a head coach, which is, you know, would put you in line with the bigger clubs in Europe and, put you at a different level than we currently have, even for our national team under Mitchell. I think he had Mitchell had himself and then two assistants. So highly technical coaches and a number of them because, uh, you know, flankers and locks do different things than hookers and props. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, profitability by year five, because we're 20 years into the premiership. And only two clubs are profitable on their own without, you know, TV rights sustaining. So that's really, you know, where I think we could go with uh, what is a success. If we contract and then expand, Major League Lacrosse has been around for seven, 16 years now, and they've contracted twice and expanded twice. And we're at the second highest number of teams. So... There is that. And I think uh, Corey is going to uh, hit us up with questions from Bob. 
Yeah, you know, I think we're, I'm excited to introduce what's going to be our first formal uh, regular section here. So regular segment. So we're going to all this questions from Bob and it's a shout out to uh, our friend over on Reddit and friend of the show, Bob Bopperson. So shout out, Bob. Thanks for being the first one to submit a question to us. And he actually sent in, uh, well, it looks like three or four of them. So let's just go right down the list here. So first thing uh, we're curious about, Bob wanted to know, what is the nature of the relationship between geographic the Geographic Authority Rugby Utah and the for-profit Rugby Utah Ventures LLC? And I have to admit, I'm a little confused about uh, the organizational ties myself uh, between the nonprofits, the ro- the for-profit, uh, and Real Salt Lake, which is the club, um, and who actually owns the team. So, if uh, any of you guys have any input on that, I would uh, I would love to know what you think. So, uh, well, from what I can tell, the state organization is run by Rugby Utah Ventures, and it's not a five hundred one c three nonprofit. And I. Rugby Utah, if you want to correct me, you know, get after it. I'll take the correction. Uh, Dean House, the commissioner, uh, previously owned Real Salt Lake and is currently serving as the interim chairman of Rugby Utah Ventures. The team, however, appears to be a separate entity from Rugby Utah Ventures, and everything appears points to that the ownership group of RSL as a backer of both the state organization and Utah selects MLR. So I think they're financially, they're going to be one of the strongest in, in major league rugby, but I would say the web is pretty tight knit. uh, If you're in Utah Um, and, you know, from soccer to rugby, I think everyone is really close. So it's not really, you know, separate like it is in some States. I think it's a bit of a, you know, scratch my back, scratch your back type deal because we saw, um, what was it? Dan, I think you got something on that. Yeah. Um, it was actually came from a tweet a while ago. It was, uh, another French name, which I'm really not good at pronouncing French names. I think it's Jean Baptiste Jobelet, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, Gobelet. Gobelet. Whatever. Um, he actually tweeted something a while ago and I pulled up the tweet too. It was, in June, at the end of June, um, the tweet was just meeting with Major League Rugby, American flag emoji, hashtag America, hashtag rugby, hashtag future, which if you ask me, any tweet should really end in those three or four things uh, for them to actually be considered a real tweet. Anyway, so the picture, which we can actually share too, just to make sure everyone knows what we're talking about. It was a picture of them at the MLR headquarters, or it looks like the headquarters in Utah. And there's a little picture that has some sort of like folder with like notes or something. It says major league rugby, the official logo on it. And then it actually has a picture of five guys in construction outfits or whatever, wearing hard hats actually in front of this vast open land. So we, we weren't sure what this was when it first came out and everyone was freaking out on the Reddit page, just trying to figure out what it was. And it turns out that at least what, at least I, th- I don't think it's concer- confirmed, but we believe it's the Real Salt Lake um, Academy headquarters, which something we can also actually share too from a while back. It's basically um, that academy is uh, a training facility and it has about three or four practice 
fields, one of which actually looks like it has about six or 7,000 seats in it. Um, there's actually a whole article that came out that never mentioned rugby, so this is a lot I, you know, a lot of theory. It's a lot of innuendo. However, we're going to say that this is a fact. This is going to happen just because we feel like it. So it looks like they're going to play here. There is obviously connection to Real Salt Lake um, and Major League Rugby with Dean Howes, and actually the, the current owner of Real Salt Lake has had ties to at least saying he wanted to invest in rugby and other sports that were not too – um, really, really super popular in the U.S. So that's really it. Like I said, we'll share it so you can see it. It's just a bunch of guys in front of a vast canyon of nothingness so far, but it will be something that's the future of rugby in America. Hashtag future. Um, so that's my entire point of that, at least for the uh, the first question from Bob. Corey, I think you want to, unless someone wanted to jump in on that, I think, Corey, you wanted to go into the uh, Second, second uh, question from Bob. Actually, real quick, guys, let me jump into that. Uh, don't you think it would be really cool that teams from Major League Soccer sort of transition a little bit into Major League Rugby? So that way you have like a little bit of a partnership. So one form of football grows along the other. I think that's cool. But, I mean, you guys t tell me otherwise if you want. I mean, if if professional – if the big guns – want to help support rugby in the United States, I'm all for it. I have no issues with that at all. I agree with that. Yeah, that's the easiest way to put it. I mean, I don't want every single owner from each city to own the soccer team and own the rugby team. Um, but at the same time, if it's something like this where there's some sort of partnership, and, and I think we always talk about this where Major League Soccer is really one of the better comparisons for what Major League Rugby could be. Um, people kind of talk about Rugby now is where soccer was about 20 or 30 years ago. Um, the biggest difference now, obviously, being like technology and everything like that. However, um, not to go on a huge tangent, we, we can talk about a different time that people may think that the structure of MLS makes a lot of sense for rugby, and it's a good way to kind of copy that in a bit. Um, and also because soccer being very international could kind of be sort of the same thing as rugby is. And by the way, guys, I'm checking uh, uh, RSL, uh, Real Salt Lake right now, and I see that they have, besides their MLS team, they have a team in USL, which is called the Monarchs, the place, I believe, USL, they have things, third, third division soccer in the U.S., and they have a women's team, which is called Real Salt Lake Women, that plays, I believe, the United Women's Soccer League, which is second tier uh, women's soccer here in the states so what i think real surreal so like is doing is that they're going to be making like a like an athletic club structure where you get for example fc barcelona perfect example they have their soccer team obviously they got their uh, basketball team which is by the way one of the best in spain they have the rugby team which sucks by the way i wish it was a lot better um but which by the way i'm a, a samboyana fan for any of you that know about <laughs> spanish rugby so I think Real Salt Lake is doing something very similar to that. Yeah, I mean, Real Salt Lake isn't the only MLS team doing something like this. I think Real Salt Lake is the only MLS team with such a gigantic product. Uh, LA Galaxy also have a, an academy structure and system in Los Angeles. So it's, you know, it's around it's start. I think the Academy systems are starting to come about in the United States for sports. Uh, they sort of exist with 
the way baseball has minor league systems with how guys leave high school and go through the minor leagues or go to college. But uh, it's, it's a little, it's a bit different, but you know, I think the facility is impressive. So next question. All right. So next up, we want to talk a little bit about uh, how MLR as a league uh, relates to the national structure in the U.S. So specifically, uh, Bob had asked, if uh, <clears throat> MLR does not get sanctioned for some reason this year, so are not formally recognized by USA Rugby, uh, because possibly because of problems with uh, the relationship previously with Pro or some other issues like that, what does that mean for MLR? Is that uh, is that important? Can they go move forward without that official sanctioning? What so, do you guys think? So I know that they can go forward. It's I don't think it really affects it too much. However, I know that um, Diana Anderson did mention that they I think they, they won't seek sanctioning for 2018. But she also mentioned that really regardless of whether or not they actually get sanctioning, the league is still going forward. So I know the whole the pro rugby thing really complicates it. And I know that common sense would indicate that they would not try to conflict with pro rugby sanction and, and avoid any kind of possible idea of someone creating a lawsuit. So I know that they said 2018, they're not going to seek it, but even in the future, if, um, if they can't get it, it's not going to stop the league. Um, I think that there are some things that USA rugby could do to, to prevent the league from coming about. So I think there were some threats in the past from like Nigel Melville with use of rugby referees from USA rugby, but Dan Payne and the board especially really has zero reason to actually try to stop Major League Rugby outside the fact that they just have to show that they don't support anything other than pro rugby while that's still going on. But it's really, it's only good things for USA Rugby if they allow it to happen, even if they say like, oh, that's that's bad, you can't do that, and just let it kind of just still exist. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. So, yeah, oh, there we go. So... Back in the day, there was another Major League Rugby when the Super League was going on. I had no idea what the Super League was back in the day, and I knew what rugby was, so that can say you know how well that was marketed. But USA Rugby, when the old MLR launched, um, they basically banned all those teams from play and sanctioned anyone who refed those games. And I don't think that's going to happen considering the finances – that USA rugby is facing right now. I think I'm not going to say he's going to turn the man's going to turn a blind eye either. The board's going to turn a blind eye to it. But I mean, uh, there's a guy named Mac Robertson talks about Ryko stuff and how he tried to do the NRFL because although the league hadn't launched and never launched, there was a sanctioning agreement signed with, um, the city of Glendale was a party to this before the pro rugby LLC one started and it was signed. So they had a single sanctioning agreement and well, USA rugby did some things to stop the NRFL from ever going. But I think if they had enough money, they would have gone like they had a combine, they had a contract to play Saracens uh, in Philadelphia with one of their teams. So like, that's crazy that you could get, an American team to play the Saracens and it never really came to fruition, but you can't stop competition. 
And so that's, I, I really don't, th- I think the, the pro rugby stuff and all that is going to be issues for USAR, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, they're going forward and USAR is going to get their thing sorted and then they'll, you know, they'll do that. Next question. The last question for the day we just wanted to go over real quick is what, if any, marketing plans for the whole league are we seeing uh, kind of being developed? Uh, I know you'd mentioned uh, Diana before being very involved in that. And um, I know I have seen stuff from uh, the deputy commissioner, Nick, and he's been out talking to some folks. So what are you guys seeing and what would help us uh, get to that next level? Well, what the league could do is take the pro rugby approach and do marketing the, the way that the that pro did it, which was through the internet, trying to get the word around, and then people start to watch it like that. But of course, that was pro because again, that was their first season, and they wanted to check how things were going and the like. And that was mostly for for fans of the game. But for new fans, it would be really good for them to sort of spend just a little bit more money to again show off the game to again to people who are not into rugby already uh, i'm sure that will be probably a little expensive for them because i mean they just just relatively a startup company to a certain extent but if they want to keep it on the cheap really through through social media that will be the easiest way and to a certain extent almost free yeah social media does make sense um as long as they don't go the usa rugby approach and only advertise every single thing through social media, which is just lazy. Um, yeah. I, I do know that we were mentioning that um, Rugby United Marketing actually signed uh, Mike, and I. he's American, but this sounds like it's a French name, Jaquette. Jaquette. Um, but they, they, I guess, acquired his services as a marketing consultant. He was most recently the CMO of the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association, which... His actual, at least according to his LinkedIn, he was he negotiated directly with NBC, uh, a huge media deal that doubled their television viewership. So that alone it kind of leads us to believe that he's not just some sort of um, high salesperson that just talks about himself all the time, even though we're getting all this information from his LinkedIn where he talks about himself. Um, but it sounds like he actually was at least somewhat knows what he's doing. He has experience, and especially with NBC and negotiating media deals. I mean, that alone in a new league is really critical to be able to come together and negotiate a deal when you need to create um, viewers, listeners, readers, fans, just people who are going to buy your product. Um, he also has some other experience, too, with CBS Sports Network. It says he worked there for five years as a VP of sales with television and properties and also college sports television, which I don't really know about, but it was VP of sports marketing. So, I mean, he's worked for at least the last 13 years directly with sports marketing and television. So that alone makes me believe that unless he was just a screw up that bounced from job to job, job to job, he would be a really good person to work with as a consultant. He's also based in Utah, which I think has a lot to do with why he's actually working with us. So that's also good that we're being, being able to actually use some sort of either relationships or I'm, I'm assuming that someone with the league actually knew him somewhat personally, though that's a real big assumption based off of nothing other than the fact that he's based in Utah. 
but that's all I have on, on the marketing with Mike. Yeah, I think in regards to marketing, uh, the thing that concerns me most is, uh, well, Glendale and Austin, they're, you know, pretty much tied into the community. For Seattle, Seawolves is a new brand, so they really need to hustle on that. But um, looking at Strikers, if everyone did what the Strikers did, which is, you know, they're a new team, but everyone's, everyone is all basically a new brand, and it's all about tying in with the media and guess what sports writers love to write writers love to write local stuff so if you talk you know if you look at what's going on in houston you know there's articles coming out all the time they're on the local sports radio all the time they're out there they're talking to the local clubs they're establishing relationships heck they're establishing relationships with the local football community because guess what if a guy's in great shape for football he'll be in great shape for rugby so you you build those community ties. That's the big one for me. So let's go into what we like to call innuendo and rumors. Uh, I heard a bunch of stuff. Uh, last week was Club 7, so there's always going to be rumors swelling around there. Um, the big ones, like there's I, – I pared this down based on like actual information from – I have some I have some big concerns for Dallas Griffins, to be honest. And – you know, most of them are finances. And yes, the big signing of Mike Ford and John Mills leads us to believe, hey, there should be confidence there. But the first article that came out from with an interview from Mike Ford in the rugby paper made no specific mention that his son Jacob was going to be playing on the Griffins. The latest uh, article that came out in the rugby magazine, which... Uh, the digital stuff will all be live, I think, in the next week. Uh, clearly states that his son Jacob will get to play on the Griffins. And I, from what I can tell, uh, Jacob hasn't been in a pure academy structure. He wasn't contracted. Otherwise, he wouldn't be coming. So maybe he is a good amateur player. I don't know. But I know that uh, you getting to showcase your son is an interesting thing. He is on the board of directors for uh, – you know, the Dallas Griffins, I don't think that's overly concerning, but considering, you know, the verbiage that comes out, it has me interested. But the big thing for me was, so they used to run a Division One club. Uh, they shut it down in the last summer. They were going to be members of the MRC. And the way Texas plays rugby, they only, they play 15s in a unified season in the spring. Well, they're playing, like their team went defunct they didn't have it and they didn't and that would have been a stress test you know with all the travel that happened in the mrc so and then later on this summer and you can find it in the true notes texas rugby union for their uh, meeting notes that that happened monthly the uh, dallas griffins women club folded and merged with the dallas red uh reds so they used to have you know an amateur club and now it's gone so that I think the overall support system may not be there. I'm not sure, but I know for a fact that the MLR owners as a group are very concerned and want the success of every franchise that is there, you know, from the beginning. And then here's an interesting one. So if you're on Reddit, you've seen uh, some stuff through the SOS uh, Office of Secretary of State in California. Uh, you can go there, look up uh, San Diego Rugby 
LLC. And I think we're going to say that with the withdrawal of Minneapolis Tornadoes LLC from the Major League Rugby website, that we are going to see a California team. And if you look at the LLC and you look at where the address leads, uh, the ties are to a real estate investment corporation that's pretty significant. So I think there's money there. There's definitely money there. And again, it was rumored that it's the same foreign partner, which was the Stormers. And if everyone knows, there's a South African who coached uh, the Eagles Sevens and was also an assistant coach with the Breakers. Well, that web is all spun real tight. And I'm going to say that we, we find out that, uh, well, not Matt Turner. Uh, Matt Turner is a different guy. Uh, Matt Hawkins. <laughs> Correction, Matt Hawkins coached Eagle Sevens before Mike Friday. He uh, helped coach the Breakers, and he's tied within this community. And I, and now getting to Matt Turner, he was a former Eagle Sevens international. He played this summer for the Washington Athletic Club, and I asked him if he would like to come on the podcast sometime soon. And he uh, he said, "Yeah, just give him a time and place." So that will be really awesome. I think he'll be playing with the Seattle Seawolves. Uh, don't quote me. He can tell us we're wrong, but I think that's real. So we'll there's first, all. We'll find out firsthand if we're wrong. Also, I, I didn't want to cut you off, but I do remember that I think it was like San Diego Breakers fans. Twitter page was, is probably has only about 50 or 60 fans just because there is no longer a San Diego, San Diego Breakers. They tweeted something that they something about rugby, obviously. And then the major league rugby official Twitter responded to them saying like, keep a lookout for updates, dot, 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 winky face. And that, that alone just seems like a stupid rumor just to say, Oh, there's going to be a San Diego team. It's confirmed. But then when you or someone else found this whole San Diego rugby ventures, like LLC, we're like, okay, now it's not just a stupid tweet by MLR, which seemed weird that they would actually post that because they're usually pretty silent, but that kind of confirms it here. There's going to be a San Diego team, 100% guaranteed. <laughs> so do you guys uh, think that's 2018 or 2019? 2024, maybe. <laughs> I think for me. Uh, I'm going to, to be honest, based on who is the talent that's in SoCal, I think they could spin up real fast and be ready to go for 2018. So, uh, Corey, you had a, a question in discussion. Uh, earlier during our pre-production meeting, I think uh, it was a. So, Corey asked us, uh, "How many teams do we think get off the ground in year one?" Yeah, I'd like to know <laughs> what you guys think. I, uh, I, you know, with all this news, uh, once again, kind of like I mentioned before, I I like the structure of MLR because it lets us swap some stuff if we have to. And we saw that early on with Chicago being in and then saying, no, we need some more time. And so we were able to back that off. And now we're looking at very possibly doing that with Minneapolis, possibly shifting that over to uh, San Diego, which, you know, as many people on our page has been screaming for a California team, I think that would make a lot of people freaking happy. Not, not possibly. It's, it's guaranteed to be a San Diego <laughs> team next year, confirmed through our many sources i'm sorry you can go back to talking about real stuff Corey. <laughs> no i have nothing uh real to talk about honest to god um 
so yeah, related to that then, I just, Aaron, I was wondering kind of if you had any thoughts related to that or anything you had to say. Um, well, I mean, the, the yellow brick road that was laid that I went after says to me that they have the money, but as far as the total number of teams based on innuendo and based on things, um, all three, all four of us have been told separately. Um, I think it might be seven or eight. I think I have concerns about Dallas and uh, two others. Um, there were concerns uh, earlier, like I said, like uh, Victor noted about uh, New Orleans Rugby Football Club when they forfeited most of their D1 matches after getting creamed by the Austin Huns. Uh, and what it, cause that's a, that was a, the MRC was a stress test. Could you afford the travel and everything? Because other than that, Nor FC is just playing Texas teams. Could you get to California or could you get to Colorado and could you play a competitive game? So money and like having everything laid on. So, um, so there's, it's, it's not just Dallas that I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about Kansas city because they aren't really talking that much. And if it's Minneapolis or if it's San Diego, if it's not, if it's San Diego, I mean, the money looks to be there. Um, Seattle a little bit because they've, they launched their, uh, they launched their new brand before the, uh, before the, the big press release in May, but they were silent for months. So other than, you know, Hun's, I guess uh, Huns Raptors Rugby Utah and Strikers. There is concern for you know I would say five ninths of the league in, but I would say total. I I think it's going to be we might go seven or eight rather than nine. The one thing I would observe related to that though, and is that all the teams seem to have the budget for one thing and one thing only. Uh, and that is logos. And we've gone through so many freaking logos in the last few months. Uh, Nola specifically. Come on, guys. Let's uh, let, let's figure out what's going on there. So uh, they can't. They they may not be able to afford to travel to California or Kansas City, but they can give us three different logos. So good work. I think. Uh, are we are are we good, guys? That's a yeah, very, I think we're wrapping up. It's a very personal question, but other for the podcast, I think we're about good. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in. We've had uh, some viewers today, so thank you guys for being here. And uh, from all of us here at Earful of Dirt, please connect with us online. We love talking to you. We love being uh, answering questions throughout the week. So we will be back next Sunday, same bat time, same bat channel. And uh, anybody else have anything to say on the way out here? Yeah, guys, real quick before I forget. First of all, I need to do uh, throw a shout out real quick to a gentleman that listened to our first uh, broadcast last week, Mr. Rafael Delgadillo, which is a fellow Dominican. Uh, Rafael, hermano, thank you for listening. It's been great. Um, and I'm so glad that we have Dominicans down in California, of all places. We usually don't go to the West Coast. But this brother's down there. He's doing well. Also, guys, um, if you're watching the, the 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 live stream, sorry that I didn't put my 
my tweet my twitter handle the thing is that i forgot about it but because everyone else has it just know mine is is at victor nyc tours so again that's at nyc so at victor nyc tours in case you want to follow me on twitter all right guys well thank you again for joining us and uh have a wonderful week we will catch you next time bye bye, bye. connect with earful of dirt anytime we're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>